The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Amen. I heard that song, first song, at the Sing Conference a number of months back. Um, the young lady that wrote it with the Getty is, is actually from Ukraine. And she was up on the stage and sang first verse in um, her native language, Ukrainian, I guess, whatever language that is they speak in Ukraine, and then uh, a Russian uh, lady sang the second verse in the Russian language, and they sang the chorus together, and this, of course, you know, a few months back is after war had broken out uh, between Russia and Ukraine, and just reflecting upon all the great suffering that was going on really with both nations, um, and yet seeing that strong testimony, that strong witness that in Christ, even in the midst of war and nations raging against one another, uh, in Christ there's safety, there's comfort, there's peace, uh, that they both could sing that song and be united in the faith in which we stand and find comfort, it, it really speaks to us in our light afflictions compared to what those in Ukraine are going through right now. Um, that they, in the severity of all that they're going through, can find that comfort in the arms of God our Savior, the God of love. Uh, how much more so should you and me, uh, through whatever it is you might have come in here this morning uh, with a burden carrying, know uh, cast your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. You are safe in the arms of God of Christ. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 22 this morning as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. I want to begin with what I call a preacher story. I don't often use preacher stories, but every now and then I do, especially when it's a story that just has a great point to it. Uh, This is one of those. The reason I don't often use preacher stories is because they're nearly impossible to authenticate the truthfulness of the story. I don't know if this is true or not. Uh, Perhaps a preacher down the ages made it up for all we know, but there's a good moral, a good point to it, so I'm going to share it with you. It is said, revolving around this man named W.E. Gladstone, he is a real historical figure, great politician in England in the late 19th century, it's said that a young man came up to him one day, and as younger men often do, aspiring to follow in the footsteps of one who has gone before, he, he, he sought to just have a conversation with him and share the plans of his life with him to get a little feedback from this great man, W.E. Gladstone. And so he approached W.E. Gladstone, and he, he asked, he said, Sir, may, may I have just a few minutes of your time, and I want to lay before you my plans for the future. He says, I, I too would like to study law. And so Gladstone responded, yes, okay, what then? He says, well then, sir, I'd like to gain entrance to the bar of England. And that's not a bar that serves alcohol, that's a bar that deals with lawyers and the bar of lawyers for England. And and so Gladstone responded, yes, okay, okay, uh, yes, young man, and, and what then? He pressed. The man, young man responded, well, well then, I, I, I hope to have a place in Parliament in the House of Lords. Yes, okay, what then? He says, well, I I hope to do great things for Britain. Gladstone responded, okay, that's good, what what then? And the young man thought for a little bit, and and he said, well, well, sir, maybe I I hope to retire and take life easy. He 
yes, okay, what, what then? The young man, kind of perplexed, he says, well, I, I, I suppose I will die. And said Gladstone looked at him and said, well, what then? And the young man responded, well, you know, I, I, really, I really haven't thought any further than that, sir. And it said that W.E. Gladstone looked at him sternly and steadily, and he said, young man, you are a fool. Go home and think your life through. There's some good truth in that. Go home and think your life through, in light not of what your next year plan is, or five year from now plan is, or retirement plan is, but thinking through the very end, the last breath that you breathe, what then? What then? What, what comes next? And how should that affect the way that I live right now in the here and now presently today? The scriptures all over the place speak of the wisdom of numbering our days, the wisdom of living our life even now in light of the what then when we breathe our last breath. What I want to do this morning is try to help you, I hope, Go home and think through the what then. Think through your life in light of the what then that comes after death. How our eternal destination, how our present salvation even, ought to play out in the way that we're living our life right now. No matter who you are as a believer, no matter what you do as a believer. Let's read our text. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat and darkness had seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I want us to see the main emphasis of this passage. It's simply that Jesus is the light of life who is worthy of your life. Jesus is the light. He is the light that is sent from God to illuminate our sinfulness and our need for salvation and even the light to sanctify us and lead us in the ways of God. And that He's also the one, therefore, that is worthy of our life, worthy of our living, your life even here and even now, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. He's Master. He's, he's the one that we are to believe upon, to see, and He is the one that we are to live for and to follow. Simple message that I believe John or, or Matthew 
Matthew is pointing us to in these verses that we've read this morning. And so first, let's focus on the first of those. Jesus is the the light of life who is worthy of your life. First, you, you must see him. There must be a time in your life that you come to see Him as the light that He is, the revelation of of God that He is, to see the light as the expression goes. The light turns on and, and you can see clearly now all of a sudden because of the light that is come that is so obvious all around you. Now, if you've been with us walking through the Gospel of Matthew, you were with us last week, hopefully, and you know we left off in verse 11 with the temptation of Jesus concluding. Okay, so he, he goes through the three temptations that, that Satan put before him. He uh, quotes the word of God, stands steadfastly against them. Verse 11 concludes, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now you read verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. If we did not study diligently, it would be easy to conclude these, mul- these, these two events are pretty close together in the way they read in the, the Gospel of Matthew. However... If you study out the life of Christ, if you read the other Gospels, what you find is there's actually about a year and a couple of months time frame in between verse 11 and verse 12. There is an extended period, that first year even, of the ministry, the three years of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Matthew does not really include any accounts, any records of, of the events that transpired. Neither does Mark or Luke, for the most part. John sheds a little bit of light on that time frame of Jesus' life in John chapter 2 through about John chapter 4. And so there's a little bit of information we have from the Gospel of John, but Matthew skips over that first year and and sees it vitally important to skip forward to this movement of Jesus, a geographical relocation from Nazareth as the home city where he was born, or where he was raised rather, uh, uh, and did the beginning of his ministry to making his home base, his headquarters in Uh, Galilee, specifically Capernaum. And we must ask, what is so important about this geographical relocation? And Matthew doesn't leave us in the dark to guess. He very clearly points us to the book of Isaiah, to a prophecy in the book of Isaiah, as the reasoning for why Jesus does this. Or rather, even that writing being there, because Jesus would do this. If you've been with us as we've walked through the book of Matthew, you know what Matthew has already done a number of times is point back to the Old Testament to validate and show that what he is saying about Jesus Christ is not a fabrication of their imagination, that they're just, you know, presenting this new story that they're fabricating about Jesus being the Messiah. Matthew is writing to a more Jewish audience uh, and the original audience that received this gospel. They knew the Old Testament well. And Matthew is all over the place looking back to prophecies of the Old Testament, to the prophets of the Old Testament to show, listen, Jesus truly is the Christ. Jesus really is the Messiah. He truly is the Son of God. Here, Isaiah chapter 9 is what's quoted. He truly is the great light that has come not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, as we've been walking through the book of Isaiah, you know that Isaiah's prophecy to the people of God was, first of all, a large majority of it, a a, a judgment, a proclamation of judgment because of the sins of God's people. Israel had entered a very dark time in their history. They had, for many generations, 
turned away from God, away from His law. They had turned to idolatry. There was all sorts of injustices being committed every day within, within the society of, of even Jerusalem. There was immoralities that were committed and not thought twice about. Israel had become corrupt and wicked. And though God had sent prophets, though God had even intervened with the divine miracles time after time, their hearts never turned from their sin back to God. And Isaiah is saying there's a, a judgment of God coming. The Babylonians are going to come in, and they're going to lay waste the promised land, and they're going to lead the people of God into captivity. Go back into Babylon as slaves torn from the promised land. But sprinkled throughout all of that proclamation of judgment are these prophecies of restoration, of redemption, of a Messiah, the suffering servant of, of the Lord, Isaiah 53, who would bear the iniquity of, of God's people, who would be the means by which the, the sinful people of Israel could be renewed and restored and redeemed. And, and Matthew is, is looking back, even as he writes this, remember now after the life of Jesus, has, uh, has already this is many years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that Matthew is penning this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's looking back at the life of Christ, and he's looking to his Old Testament, and the Spirit of God is leading him to see, my goodness, Jesus fulfilled this, Jesus fulfilled that. All of this spoke so clearly back then of what he would do and what he would accomplish, that he truly is the 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 Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, who will redeem not only the Jews, but redeem the Gentiles, any and all who come to faith in Him, who see their need of a Savior and turn from their sin to believe upon Him. And so he looks back to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And Isaiah chapters 9 and 1 and 2, it's quoted here in the New Testament, verses 15 and 16. It speaks of the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those were two tribes of Israel that were allotted that portion of northern Israel when they, uh, the children of God entered the promised land. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, that northern area of Israel called Galilee. It said of the Gentiles because it was the place where King Herod uh, Antipas had his kingdom, his domain, his rule, his authority was primarily centered in that region. There were a number of cities that were filled with only Gentiles intermixed with other cities that were more um, Jewish in their population. And so it was known even back in the day of Isaiah as Galilee of the Gentiles, a prophetic picture of salvation from God not only being centered in, in the, the uh, Jewish nation, but for all the nations of the earth. And the prophecy is verse 16, that the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in a region and, and shadow of death, light has dawned. It's not by accident that Matthew even summarizes it in verse 12, that when Jesus heard that John, and as John the Baptist, had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. That Jesus waited if we read John 2 and John 3, we find stories of Jesus dealing with people where it's even with his mother saying it's, the time's not yet come for, for, for um, you to share of who I am, to share even of that miracle of turning uh, the water into wine, uh, other miracles of Jesus. At the right time, his, the revelation of who he was would become apparent, would be manifested. Here, John the Baptist is arrested by King Herod. It was a dark moment in the history of Galilee. 
that once again, the people of God don't respond rightly to the, the prophet of God. And even though Herod was, in a way, a Roman authority, he was a representation of the authority of Israel in the day and age also. Once again, a long-time indictment against the people of God. They never, they never listened to the prophets of God. They, they rejected the message of the prophets. They would even kill the prophets of God. It was an evidence of their wayward direction apart from God. It was an evidence of the darkness and corruption of their own life, of their own culture, of their own society. Here, when, when John the Baptist is arrested... Jesus doesn't run and flee to a safe zone, to a safe area. He doesn't go down to Jerusalem yet where he could get away from uh, the northern rule and reign of King Herod. No, he goes to the very heart of the corruption. He goes into Galilee and he makes Capernaum his home base of operation for the next year, year and a half of his ministry before heading down to Jerusalem. Matthew sees this and he reads Isaiah 9. And he says Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy that was given of him long, 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 long ago. That that the Messiah, the Christ, the great light sent from God would be one who would come into the darkness of humanity. And as light does, it would expose the dark deeds of humanity. Ultimately, not only to bring people to an awareness of their sin, the sinfulness of sin, but ultimately to point us to the light, to the revelation that comes from God, whereby the, the sinfulness of sin can be undone. Forgiveness and redemption and restoration can occur. Matthew is saying Jesus truly is the great light sent from God that entered the brokenness and the darkness of humanity. Upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Now, he doesn't develop really any more fully that theme of light and dark as much so as the Gospel of John does, if you've read the Gospel of John. I want to bring in just a little bit of what John has to say about Jesus being light. Listen, listen to these words from the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the Logos. He's speaking of Jesus, God incarnate. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, we read, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus puts it pretty clearly. It says, Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 12, verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become the sons of light. And then in verse 46 of that same chapter, I have come as light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Not abide in darkness anymore. There's a light that has come to bring the revelation of the righteousness of God and even the salvation, the grace of God, the mercy of God that can be had by you and me, by sinners, unworthy, condemned before holy God. Have you seen the light? That's what this... 
verse is pressing us toward is, is, is Matthew presents Jesus as the great light, uh, as the one who is the, the, the light that has dawned even by, uh, to be seen by those who dwell in the, the region and shadow of death. It says the people who sat in darkness had seen a great light. Have you seen it? Is there a time in your life you can look back on where you know you came to an understanding of just how big of a sinner you are and just how much of salvation you need and realizing you can't do it in and of yourself, but you come to realize the light has come. Jesus Christ did it all for me. He lived a life of perfection in my stead to die upon a a cross in my place to bear the penalty of my sin. And He freely, graciously, mercifully, as you just sang, amazing grace, He gives it freely to any and all who come to Him. He says, I paid for your sins. Here's my righteousness. Be clothed in it. You can be forgiven. You can be brought into the light and become children of the light, sons and daughters of the light, because this great light has dawned. The light has come. Have you seen this light? Hank Williams Sr., not Jr., wrote the hymn, I saw the light, I saw the light great truth in it. I wandered so aimlessly, life filled with sin, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy. No sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. You're welcome. Now you've got that song stuck in your head for the rest of the day. I hope it does get stuck in your head and you ask yourself the question, if you haven't, have I seen Christ for who He truly is? As a light opened my eyes that I've seen not only Him for who He is, but me for who I am. A sinner in need of salvation and He the Savior of the world. And that leads you to fall down in repentance and turn from sin and believe upon Him because you know He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by Him. You know He's our only hope in life and death. Many of you in here, you've seen the light. You've come to Christ. And hear me leads us into the second point. When you do see that light, when you come to Him, you do not leave unchanged. You don't leave having seen that light and the glory of it and the transformation that occurs because of it and continue living your life in sin and and immorality and and apart and away from God. That when you come to see the light, the, the grace of God changes your heart. He saves you. He gives you a new heart buried in the likeness of His death, raised to walk in the newness of life. There's a, a newness of life in the Spirit of God that's given to you where, where you now have a heart that wants to follow Him. That the call of the Christian life is not just seeing the light and getting saved. It's actually a life of following after the Lord, seeking Him, obeying Him, serving Him every day of your life. Seek Him first. Secondly, follow Him. Verse 18 through verse 22. Verse 18 we read, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now this is not Andrew's first time encountering Jesus. Probably not Peter's first time encountering Jesus either. We know from the Gospel of John that Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus came on the scene. Uh, Andrew saw Jesus and realized as John was proclaiming, this truly is the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, uh, Andrew runs and tells Peter, his brother, we found him, we have found the Christ. 
I think for a short time frame, they actually followed Jesus loosely, returned to John the Baptist, and now John the Baptist has been arrested. They don't know what to do. John, the one that they were being discipled by, is now imprisoned. They return to their life that they came from. They knew fishing. Their family owned the, the town's fishing uh, business. And so there they are, back fishing as fishermen, confused a little bit about this Jesus the Messiah, about John the Baptist now being imprisoned. And Jesus comes on the scene. And he says to them, verse 19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it says they immediately... They immediately left what they were doing, think about that for a moment, immediately dropped it all and went after Christ. Going on from there, verse 21, he saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were even with their father. They were mending their nets, fixing, repairing the nets that were broken, getting the seaweed out of the nets. And he he called to them and also immediately, it says, they left the boat and even their own father and the Father likely recognizing the, the call of God upon them, and they, they pursued Jesus. They followed the Lord Jesus. I want to give a general application to all of us, to every believer, and I want to give a, a special application, a specific application that's only true of some who are in this room. So first, the general application to all of us, to every believer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer worded it rightly when he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. But there is a death that occurs when you come to Christ, that, that there's the death of the, the flesh that you're to put off, that you're to turn from as you follow and pursue Jesus as Lord and as Savior, as Master of your life, that there's a call upon every believer, upon every Christian to take up your cross daily and follow after the Lord. Now that doesn't look like, for every believer, leaving your occupation that God has called you to and leaving your family and, and going off as a, a full-time you know, servant of the Lord doing something full-time vocational ministry. But it does mean for every believer, you come to understand God has given you everything that you have and He has designed you to have everything that you are as far as your abilities and your intellect and whatever degrees you might have or skills that you might have acquired. You realize there's a sovereign God over your life who created you and your mother's womb, who knit you together and who opened up the doors that brought you to where you are, that you have been sovereignly placed by a sovereign God as one of His children even to be where you are doing what you're doing. And when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you see the light, when you see Him as Lord and Savior, there is a call upon your life to follow Him in all of that, all that He's given to you, all that He has called you to do, whether you're working as a school teacher or whether you're working as a construction worker or whether you're working at the bank or, or looking around working on ACs or you're a lawyer or you're a, I don't know, everybody's occupation, but I could name each and every one of them. Working chemistry of some sort. Whatever you're doing, if you're a believer, you realize God has given you a call. Follow me in that. God's put you there with a purpose. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 31. Sorry, 1 Corinthians rather, 10 31. Read my notes. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you're doing as a believer, you're called as a child of God, a son and daughter of the light, to live that, to do that in, in, to the glory of God. Even in your leisure and things you do where you're just enjoying the goodness of God, you're to do it for the glory of God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Listen to this. Do all things, all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless 
and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now we talk a lot about the wicked and crooked and perverse generation and how things are getting worse and worse. I think we ought to equal that with the reality God has placed you, believer, wherever you are in the midst of that, to be harmless, to be blameless, to be salt, to be light, to be a witness for the Lord in whatever place He's divinely appointed you to serve, whatever occupation it is that He's called you to, whatever stage of life that you're in, you as a believer are called to be following the Lord, to be obeying Him, to be doing all that you do for His glory, to be a witness for Him, because the reality is you come in contact with a whole lot of lost people that I don't come in contact with every day. I would be a stranger knocking on a door or trying to share Jesus with them. You know them better as their co-worker or as their neighbor that sees them every evening and speaks to them as they you know, go out and check their mail or whatever it may be. Realize in every aspect of your life as a, a Christian, a Christ follower, You have been called by God to follow Jesus, to follow Him. Obeying Him, yes, but way more than obeying Him, being salt, being light, being a witness for Him. I would say the part of this passage that hit me the hardest this week is where it speaks of God's calling upon them, and they were fishermen, but He says, Follow Me, and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. The, the, the primary objective of your Christian life is not simply to live a sinless life. He didn't say, follow me and I'm going to make of you a righteous, you know, a righteous person. You know, sometimes we think that's what the Christian life's all about. And there's a part of it that it is, absolutely. But there's a group that becomes so focused on come you out and be you separate from among them. You know, live a distinct, sanctified, holy life. That we make that the grand objective of Christian living. And we miss the point God is making here about His disciples, about His Christ, about His followers, Christians. He doesn't say, follow me, I'm going to make of you a, a, a righteous person. He doesn't say even to them, follow me and I'm going to make of you apostles of great doctrine, of deep doctrinal truth. He will, and he does, but that wasn't the main objective here. That wasn't the main point. What does he say to them? You've been fishers of fish. Follow me, and I'm going to make of you fishers of men, of people. That the people is the or what the grand objective of our living is. That, that God has called us in all the things that you do, not just merely to grow in your own personal sanctification, not just merely to grow in your depth of theology and knowledge of God's Word, but He's called you to reach the people He's placed around you who are in desperate need of salvation. He's called you to be fishers of men, fishers of people. And some of you are a lot like me, and I hated group projects in school because I just didn't like people. I told somebody in the first service, if I weren't up here preaching, I'd be in the back corner over there sitting on the back row somewhere, typical back row Baptist. It's kind of ironic that God took me in that personality, and here I am in a big group project called the church, (laughs) fulfilling the Great Commission together. And to realize in my own life, God has not called me merely to fulfill tasks. I'm task-driven. I like doing things. I like the sense of accomplishment when you do something and you 
you do well at it and you, you keep the calendar and you, 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 you make the appointment and you fulfill the appointment and, and task-driven, task-oriented. And, and this passage hits me hard to say it's not about keeping the schedule on the calendar and it's not about checking off the tasks that have been completed no matter how well they've been accomplished. You miss people in the equation. You've missed it. Your job, your life is not about getting the paycheck at the end of the week. It's not about having money to pay the bills. It's not about affording the next great thing. It's not about getting enough money to retire and live a life of ease and comfort. Realize that your life, the primary objective of what God has called you to in your living, no matter what you are doing, is the people that God has placed around you. You're to be a fisher of men, a fisher of people. Who's somebody that God's placed around you that you've been called to be a witness to and you've not been doing well at it? Whatever you do takes on such a greater meaning when you come to see this elementary truth, principle of what it is to be a Christian. That you're called to be an ambassador, a witness, a fisher of men, as a teacher, as a banker, as a construction worker, as a you fill in the blank, whatever it is God's called you to. As a believer, you are a fisher of men. That is a general application. I want us to look at a specific application in closing only true with some, not true of all. A specific application of this calling. There were many disciples of Jesus in groups of 12. There were over 500 believers that Paul says saw Jesus after his resurrection, saw his resurrected body. There were a number of people who came to see Christ as the Messiah. And yet what we're reading of here in particular is the calling of, the beginning of the calling of just the 12. There was a special and unique calling upon them to not continue as a fisherman and serve the Lord, doing the work of a fisherman, but to leave the industry of fishing altogether, to even leave mother and father, to leave family and comfort and security, to follow the Lord full-time, daily in their lives. And I think rightly we've done a good job in recent church history of stressing the priesthood of every believer, that every believer is a minister in some sense. As I just emphasized, you've been called to go as you're going in your life to be a witness for the Lord Jesus. We've done well to emphasize that, but unfortunately I think it's been at, at the, 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 um, at the, what would be the word I'm looking for there, at the down, the, the, the detriment is the word I'm looking for, at the detriment of, of an emphasis that God does call some to full-time vocational ministry. That God does extend a call, not upon every believer, but upon some believers to say, God is calling, will you go? I, I've got a, a life here for you to leave what you are dreaming and thinking about doing in a, a vocational minister, in a vocational work career, and, and actually give your life in full-time service to be utilized by God in full-time ministry. There is a unique and particular call of God upon some to do just that. I didn't have it planned for my life as a 16-year-old to go down the pathway that I've gone down to lead me here before you this morning. At 16, I had already shadowed a team of surgeons at Shands. It was a really cool uh, experience getting to be there in the operating room. And I had a great ambition of going to UF, a uh, great medical school there, and becoming a surgeon. Get to help a lot of people and make a lot of money, amen? It was a great combination. I was reading Jungle Pilot, a uh, uh, 
a biography on one of the missionaries who gave his life even, uh, reaching a tribal group of people in Ecuador. Uh, five men who would ultimately give their lives in that. And God just convicted my heart and soul. And in a way, with the truth of being a fisher of men, the, the, the thought that just I could not escape was, what if, Brandon, what if you became this renowned surgeon and saved hundreds of lives in your career? You only saved their life for them to live a little bit longer and die. What difference have you really made? And the reality is, when we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and a person comes to saving faith in Jesus, <laughs> you don't save their soul to live a little bit longer and die. You save them where they'll never die again. Where they're given eternal life by the grace of God. What a, what a privilege it is to, to be the means of God's grace being communicated to a sinner in need of salvation. Many of you have been there before. And to realize the eternal impact that that makes. That, that, that what you do in full-time vocational ministry has great eternal ramifications. I didn't come from a house with preachers and missionaries. I thank the Lord they were Christian and loved, uh, loved the Lord and loved the thought of me going into ministry. I could put a little blurb in here to say, parents, you know, pray for your kids and, and look at it as a great honor when they feel a call into ministry. Support that. I have friends of mine in ministry whose parents didn't, and that's a shame. It's a good thing, and it's something that my mama prayed for since I was a kid, and, and lo and behold, here I am many, many years later. Um, never imagining even the pathway God would take me from that moment as a 16-year-old where I answered that call and surrendered to the Lord to say, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll go wherever you send me. And my thought was, I like the adventurous nature of missions and especially of a pilot. And lo and behold, here I am, some however many years later, standing before you as a preacher uh, in my hometown, something I never imagined or thought. But God, God leads and guides and directs as you follow Him. God opens doors and shuts doors. God, God begins to tear down the barriers you've erected in your heart that say, God, I'll do the adventurous work of a missionary, but I'll never be a boring pastor. I mean, how boring and tedious is the work of a pastor? It's like writing a 20-page term paper every week. It is. But here's the thing. God leads and God directs you when you surrender to get you where He wants you. And then here's another thing. God enables you and equips you to do what He's called you to do. I never imagined I would stand before a group of people, even of this size, and deliver any sort of sermon or speech. I hated that in, in high school, to stand before even a small classroom. And yet God, as He calls you to, it enables you to do, do the work to which He is calling you. And so you may be a young person, a young man, young lady here this morning, and you're feeling that calling of God, but you're, you're fearful, you're hesitant to say, I don't know where that's going to lead me. No, you don't, but hear me, it'll be good, and you'll be blessed in it to know you're seeking God in it, and you're fulfilling His will in your life, and that there's nothing else that you'd rather do, and there's nothing else that's any greater that you could be doing than that to which He's called you to do. And then you know, as you may be fearful and hesitant to say, how will I ever measure up and, and gain the ability to do that which He might be calling me to do? You won't in and of yourself, but God's grace is sufficient, and He will equip you. He will enable you to do that which He calls you to do. What He seeks from you, even this morning, is simply a willing heart. Simply a heart that says, immediately I'll surrender, I'll follow you wherever you lead me, whatever you lead me to. There's a general call upon us all to follow the Lord daily in our living, but there is a special call upon some where God says, I want you to leave. Leave the regular normal life and your culture and follow me full time. 
serve me full time. What an honor. What a privilege it is. If you're here this morning and you're feeling that pull from God's Spirit upon your heart, I beg you, answer it. Answer it. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Jesus is the light of life, worthy of your life. Have you seen the light? Is there a time you've come to see that great light of God that has dawned upon a darkened, broken, death-filled humanity? See the light and follow Him. Whatever He's called you to do, follow Him. Serve Him. Obey Him. Be a witness for Him. Heavenly Father, we come to You and we pray You would take Your Word. Lord, You would speak it by Your Spirit upon our hearts here, not being merely hearers of Your Word, but doers of Your Word. Lord, this group gathered this morning, many have seen the light of Christ. Many have come to faith in Him, but if we're honest, most of us haven't been following Him as He's called us to. Some have sin that needs confessed. Some have moments where they've failed to be the witness You've called them to be, to speak, and You've given them opportunity to speak and Confession is needed and also a prayer of strengthening, a prayer of boldness and courage. Lord, there may be some even here who have never come to the light, have never seen Christ as Lord and Savior. We pray you'd open their eyes that they may see Christ for who He is and repent and believe upon Him. Lord, there may be a few even that you're calling into full-time ministry. Lord, I pray you'd give them the courage and the strength, the boldness to stand up, to answer that call and to say, Lord, I'll follow you immediately. I'll leave it all to pursue whatever it is you lead me to. Lord, work, I pray. Glorify Christ in this place. We ask in 